0: It's your pod jock Kavita here on Podcast Radio. Now, a little bit earlier on, I got the chance to catch up with Philip Cox-Hind. Now, Philip is an expert behavioral change facilitator. Really fascinating, right? And he's founded a company called Techniques for Living. And Philip is currently creating a suite of courses covering the three interconnecting pillars of being human. Let's find out more. So, For anybody who's listening who doesn't know the word mindfulness? I mean, I think it's it's a word that's bounded around quite a lot in the public consciousness, but what does it actually mean?
1: <laughs> Great question. Um, I think you can supplement the word for words that perhaps we're more familiar with. So to be more aware, to be more conscious, to be more sensitive to what's going on around us and particularly what's going on within us. Um, we do use the word mindful in everyday speech. Um, I'm mindful of somebody who's not very well, you might say, or I'm mindful of my cat keeps coming in through the flap and makes a noise. So it can be from the sublime to ridiculous. I think within the context, it's become more familiarly used in the last few years. It derives from various meditation practices. And the one I practice is called Vipassana. But Vipassana is the core mental discipline to stay in the moment, that is derived from Buddhism. And mindfulness is usually colloquially used to mean to be aware, conscious of what's going on within us, second by second, moment by moment. And the more we can acquire that discipline, the less we're a kind of hostage to fortune to the past and also to the future. Because a survival brain, the lizard brain it's sometimes referred to, or the chimp brain, the, the, the brain that kind of makes sure we're all right, you know, and it's very useful because we come around a corner and a, a car is coming down the road and we step out into the road. We need that brain to shoot adrenaline through our system and help us to step back out of the way of the car. The problem is it doesn't always differentiate between the body signals from that adrenaline rush that we get in relationship to a, a real physical threat and an emotional threat. So if I feel scared or guilty or exposed or vulnerable, we might not even be able to name the the negative emotion. It's very easy to be in reactive mode to that emotion. And so what the discipline of mindfulness and meditation uh, helps acquire is the second by second discernment, the ability to tell the difference between an emotional reaction that needs a response, an emotional reaction that is just emotion. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable doing the thing that we know is satisfying.
0: I was on your website and I was watching your video where you were talking about yourself and you did the holding your hand thing. And I tried it where you hold your hand and then you move your fingers and move it the other way. And I felt that, I suddenly felt, oh, I don't like that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, It it, it is. It's it's very it's very difficult. I mean, the reason I called this project "Techniques for Living" and people can follow me on Instagram on that, or or go for more information on on the website, um, and there's a free video as well if you if you visit it, was that mindfulness can sound very highfalutin to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to ensure that by calling it techniques. Living and it's living with a swoosh and an exclamation mark, it's like techniques for living. (laughs) Um, not always do we understand practical things we can do differently or more of that can enable us to feel more alive. And so, you just described, and if anyone's listening to this now, just clasp your hands together, just clasp your hands together, and you'll probably notice you've got one thumb over the other. You didn't have to be taught how to do that, it's just naturally what we do. And behavioral scientists have studied it and concluded that it's not to do with genetic propensity it's purely to do with when we were small we play with our our hands our arms our legs when we're watching telly or not using them and they're called resting behaviors and we'll fold our legs a particular way we'll fold our arms a particular way and we'll clasp our hands a particular way it's just the way we've acquired it because we've done it that way more than the other way it's nothing more than that and of course like any habit the more you do something one way than the other the more comfortable it feels Now, those listening, if you want to take your hands apart and intertwine your fingers the other way around, which will mean you've got a different thumb on top. And as you said, it feels weird. It does. I I was giving a lecture on this once and um, a woman in the front row was really struggling with it. And I moved on to another subject and I forgot to say, you can now take your hands apart. (laughs) And she fainted. She became so overwhelmed with the physical distress of something that felt uncomfortable. And of course the survival mind does with physical discomfort is it, it names it as a threat or not. So it's not just uncomfortable. People start to say, this isn't me, this is wrong. (laughs) It's just clasping the hands differently. And, And literally what happens when you clasp your hands in a different way, the body shoots a tiny amount of adrenaline around the system. It's the fight or flight chemical. Now. We also have reflective consciousness. So as I am reacting to my hands being a different way, I can at some point stop, breathe, think and go, hang on a moment. I've just reacted to something that makes sense. Now, I do have reflective consciousness. I can choose whether to become almost like a victim of that reaction or I can discern does this discomfort mean that it isn't something I should do? Mm-hmm. Um, do you keep fit at all? Do you do running or go to the gym? Or
0: Yeah, I go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do like weights and circuit training.
1: And do you always enjoy going to the gym and always putting your kit on and can't wait to put your shoes on and get going on it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there's a, great, <laughs> there's a great practical down-to-earth example of this mechanism. I've been a marathon runner for years and I can't think of a time when I've gone, yeah, I've got to get my shoes on. Let's get out and rain. No, what we've learned is we've learned to discern that the satisfaction of getting fit of the endorphin rush we get when we work our bodies is more powerful than the momentary discomfort of now I'm not going to bother. we can always hear those kind of voices in our heads. In your head's anything like mine, it's like a zoo in here. You know, you get constant noise from, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. Don't do this no, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone listening says, hang on, I thought there was the only one. Sorry, but you're yeah, not. <laughs> We've all got it's that all of us. Yeah. white noise going on. And for the most part, it's there again to keep us safe. But who's the observer observing what? And a practice of not just meditation, but mindfully understanding that mechanism, mindfully listening, even when we want to jump in and shout somebody down, mindfully phrasing things in a way that's not too definitive. For instance, um, rather than say to somebody close to us, you never do that, rather say the last couple of times you haven't really done it well. So you've gone from, the entirety of my relationship to the last twice mm. and it's been sensitive to conscious of aware of mindful of how we communicate what our impact is on the world and it tends to start with with the discipline of meditation the gym is a good example if you went to the gym for 10 days uh, for a super fit boot, boot camp and you came out feeling amazing and then you never went to the gym <laughs> <laughs> What would happen to your fitness level?
0: It would plummet yeah.
1: it down. <laughs> plummet down, of course it would. So, um, when I first learned about Vipassana, um, it's only taught through the, the, the revered roots, call it that, revered roots, um, it, it, in the way it was taught to monks for thousands of years. And it's a 10 day silent retreat.
0: Wow, in silent. Centre
1: near Hereford, and there's no Buddhas, there's no Buddhism, there's no suttas, there's no images. It, they just teach you the mind discipline of the meditation how to keep in the present, how to notice your your thoughts, your emotions, your body, your feelings, and stay in the present. And no talking, no eye contact, no books, no reading, no writing, no phones, no computers, 10 hours a day for 10 days. And when I first heard about it, I thought it was bonkers. It sounds
0: terrifying as well.
1: (laughs) And again, just think that's that's what our mind does. You know, if an alien came to um, the planet and happened to be where the land meets the sea and it's connected telepathically to the mothership. And they said, look, we're thinking of invading this planet. What are they doing? Well, they're lying with any protective clothing in front of their star and it kind of burns them. Oh my goodness. Have we beamed you down into a prison? No, they pay money for it and they do it for hours on end for weeks. Oh my goodness. I think they will leave this planet alone. (laughs) (laughs) So it's accepted in western society that that's what we that's what we call a holiday yeah and you know when i resisted doing the meditation for gosh 8 years i think and nobody forced me to do it i was just fascinated as to how bonkers it was and would it be useful so i did it and it it did feel very difficult it was uh, hard but i could see why it takes 10 days the hold that that rational logical mind has on us is so fierce it's so strong um and it really is building a discipline which i now meditate pretty much every day 20 minutes to an hour depending on what time i've got but i found that by doing that it enables my ability to be mindful and aware of my impact as i navigate my way through my day is far easier if i've got like the base stamina it's a bit like Going to the gym by itself, well, so what? But then when you want to go raving or dancing, you can dance longer. Yeah. Or when you want to run for the bus, <laughs> you can run faster. Um, and uh, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you look at, yeah, look, yeah, I look okay. So yeah. we do stuff that that, that is beneficial. And um, I think the benefits of some kind of medif- meditation enable us to become more conscious of how we communicate. The techniques for living courses will include um I, you, and we. So I is self understanding. You is interpersonal communication. And that's so important. And then the we is relationships. How do we build relationships as opposed to relation rowboats? <laughs> <laughs> Think of the analogy. A rowboat isn't very stable, it capsizes quite easily. You know, people you work with, people you're close to close friends maybe your partner if you've got one we build a relationship and I use that analogy it's like a sturdy vehicle within which we can relate we can relay my experience your experience and we can hear each other we can hold each other and like a ship it's sturdy it can withstand storms Um, sometimes difficult to navigate and turn around corners (laughs) relationships can get stuck so there's a lot of the techniques there as to how to keep relationships fresh,
0: and and also you know we've all been in lockdown for so long. When we're we're coming out of the pandemic soon, people might start have having anxiety in building relationships with new people because we just haven't done it in so long.
1: Absolutely, that's happening quite a lot. I um, my work is kind of split into to two quite naturally. I, I do a lot of work coaching individuals, and I've also been a consultant, a change management behavioural change consultant in the corporate world for 30 30 years. And the Techniques for Living project came out of a a sense that humanity is kind of almost going in a circle. When I started 35 years ago, I learned a lot of personal development techniques as to how to become more effective as a human being and how to personally communicate with individuals. And I started taking that into the corporate world because it seemed that I could have a greater effect with people who worked with each other day by day. And it evolved into um, culture change projects with big corporations. Um, I helped bring Viagra to market nine months of the schedule, for instance, with Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, Um, purely through helping people communicate more effectively, restructure the way they work together. So there's been massive application of my work in the corporate world and outside of it. And the techniques for living project idea came about because I think things have come full circle now. 30 years ago, I couldn't talk about emotional intelligence. The phrase wasn't even coined. But I couldn't talk about emotions when I was doing leadership programs or management programs. I had to find another way of talking about it because it was derogatory. It wasn't, it wasn't acceptable. Now, in the last few years, well-being has become a corporate word. I'm, I'm a director of a company and a non-exec director. They've got a well-being room. Wow. I mean, people talk about their emotions a lot talk about mindfulness, talk about meditation at work. And so what the personal development world and the corporate world were once so separate, they now come together. And I think the pandemic has both been terrifying and frightening and lonely making and a whole bunch of stuff that some people will take months and years to to work through. And also I see that it's been extraordinarily positive, potentially positive. Um, I'm working with a company at the moment on, a, on a, a, ch- a, a growth-led change project. They've got to a certain size and they don't know how to, to replicate what they've got by, by becoming bigger. And um, the biggest theme that's come out of me interviewing 20 people is we want to be able to have the choice as to where we work. And Most will say at the beginning of lockdown, I didn't want to work at home. It felt alien to me. Uh, I thought I'd get distracted and blah, blah, blah. Virtually everyone is saying, I get more done at home. I don't want to be home all the time, but I want the choice. I want to, it's it's landing down to three days in the office, two days at home, or two day, three days at home and two days in the office. It's that. Yeah. And other things like, now when I have a one-to-one with my manager, I actually prefer it on Zoom because when I try and do it in the office, they're always distracted and mm. I don't get mm. quality time. When she calls me on a timed 15-minute one-to-one catch-up chat, office-related, business-related, on Zoom, for that 15 minutes, I've got all of her attention mm-hmm. and she's got all of mine. Mm-hmm. So I think all of these challenges in life have the ability to have mixed blessings.
0: <laughs> I, I think that's the almost, you could say, the beauty of life anyway, the it ups is. and downs and the peaks and the drops. <laughs> so you mentioned... Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned your courses that you're running. Uh, yeah. when, when do they start, and what can people expect if they book onto the course?
1: Um, we're yet to start filming them now. What we're the, the, the strategy we've decided to do is to popularise the idea of the courses, and on the um, website uh, there's a, a couple of video, short videos explaining more about what the courses will entail. And we want to create an audience before we start filming them because we want feedback from people as it, what it is that they want. However, I can certainly say that the kind of colloquial down to earthness, if you like, of me, um, this former lad from, from Birmingham, uh, which and I say that because we tend to be quite down to earth in the Midlands, although I've lived down south far longer than I ever lived at North. <laughs> So the approach will be um, practical, down to earth, explaining mechanics of things like listening, context setting, uh, dealing with feedback, being able to deal with criticism, being able to give feedback, but in a way that is food back. What about if feedback could be nutritious? How can I learn unless you tell me what works and what doesn't? And how do I phrase that so it's kind? And the course is also called, uh, we'll explore how emotions work. They work in a certain set of dynamics. It's often best to hear. think about emotions in terms of energy. And if we look into the physical world, uh, energy like electricity and, and gravity um, follow certain dynamics. You know, if we think about schoolgirl or schoolboy, uh, newtonian laws of physics it's not a test um, <laughs> no. <laughs> things like newtonian law of physics you can't uh, create energy you can only transform it from one state to another you've got kinetic energy you've got actual energy so how does that relate to to emotion well the survival part of my brain the lizard brain wants me not to feel negative emotion because it's, it feels threatening it's the adrenaline thing again but we also know for really true to ourselves that We can't just disappear a feeling. If I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling angry. Mm. If I'm feeling upset, I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling fearful, I'm feeling fearful. Mm. So how do I move on beyond it? Well, the uncomfortable truth is, and we know it when we think about it, is feel the fear and do it anyway. So there are techniques in the courses which I'll explain in more detail as to how to do that, how to actually experience negative emotions, so-called negative, but actually it's just energy. And rather than bury it or pretend it isn't there, how do I express it appropriately? How do I communicate about it appropriately? How do I admit it to myself in a way that's useful? And of course, we all know that if we suppress anger or fear, what happens?
0: Yeah,
1: we we take it out on friends. We take it out on the cat. <laughs> we um we get tired. We overeat. The energy's got to go somewhere. There's another Neotenyan. Law of physics: um Energy will take the path of least resistance. Well, same as energy, same as emotion. How do you feel when you've had a good cry? So
0: much better, how like you, like relieved. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And how do you feel when you had a bit of a rant? <laughs> you
0: know? I mean, also relieved. <laughs>
1: exactly. Now there are ways to do it that's appropriate. You know, there's ways of being of expressing anger in a way that's appropriate. There's ways of expressing upset and fear and uh, righteousness and, and all of those emotions in a way that is useful and is often getting a balance between being authentic and being appropriate it's another aspect uh, of the courses if I'm 100% authentic you know I think it, okay, I say yeah, it. I think it. I say yeah. well that clearly isn't very helpful in mm. society but if I'm so appropriate. If I try and mold me so much to try and fit in with everyone else, then I become sycophantic, I become invisible. And people Mm. kind of sniff that, you know, you're not being real. Mm. And it's our fear of getting it wrong with people, of not fitting in, of being judged. So we'll also explore all of the influences in our childhood, in our behavioral learning that can contribute to various aspects of lack of self-worth. And to imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is one thing I really want to talk about a lot. I've got a a birthday card uh, framed on my office wall right now, and I framed it because it's a great reminder of a a truth. It's a quote by Margaret Atwood, and it says, I believe that everyone else my age is an adult, whereas I'm merely in disguise.
0: I literally tweeted the other day about how I I'm terrible at being an adult. I'm not a, <laughs> so pro- not a proper adult. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and I remember getting to about my early twenties and uh, thinking, Oh my goodness, I'm going to be an adult soon. And it terrified me. Yeah. And I'm nearly 65 now. And I'm, I'm still kind of waiting. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, you know, I've coached some extraordinary um, people in business and, Uh, managers of great worth and and standing and I remember in my probably my 40s I I coached the CEO of a big multinational he was knighted very well known very powerful man and he wanted a one-to-one coaching from me to become more effective over some of the country-wide MDs of which he was responsible for and they weren't all doing what he wanted them to do and we had a 10-hour one-to-one coaching day which is something I've developed over the last 20-odd years, and uh, we dived quite deeply. We looked at his own upbringing, his background, what shaped him, what he, where his fears come from, all of those things. But halfway through the day, I could tell I really got his trust. He was starting to open up. We were talking about what stops us, and fears were, were top of the list. And you look at this guy. He was in his 60s. He was knighted. We were doing this day in a grace-and-favor flat of the companies in Mayfair. He'd shown me his six- antique jaguars wow. in the basement car park i mean on the surface this guy had made it yeah. and yet when i asked him chris what is your greatest fear and he smiled wistfully and looked at the carpet and said oh that's easy my biggest fear is one day i'll get found out
0: i feel like that's all of us
1: <laughs> yeah it is
0: so if we but, if we come on your courses we can own who we really are and not have that imposter syndrome
1: we can and i think part of that is to own the fact that Us human beings are frail, Mm. are fragile, and yet we're extraordinarily strong. And our true strength comes from being able to embrace our frailties, embrace the fact we don't always know. And once we're able to talk to those close to us, those we can trust about the things that we're not sure about, and be able to open a dialogue about our inner worlds, then uh, the strength becomes more and more and more and it's a, it's a real strength rather than what rather than a social front which most of us has learned to construct but most of us also know ultimately it's not real and it's not satisfying
0: wow and where can our listeners go to get more information
1: um go to techniques for living dot com
0: brilliant thank you so much philip
1: a, or as i say follow us on instagram for <laughs>
0: techniques for living on instagram as well
1: <laughs> yeah that's right